I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many Batman podcasts. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with fans and people, people who Welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Shirley Walker Walkers. For the grandparent or 80-something in your life who needs something to lean on and also loves the musical stylings of Batman composer Shirley Walker. Surely you can't be a walker. I am, and don't call me Shirley. Guys, today marks the 25th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series and the triumphant return of this podcast. And what better way to celebrate than by giving you a new episode of the show recorded live at San Diego Comic-Con 2017. I'll be chatting with Kevin Altieri, director and board artist on the animated series about Mask of the Phantasm, Rachel Ghoul, and the lasting impact of the series over time. We're also joined by Harry Chaskin, who's the booming voice of this podcast, and a Bat fan himself. Then we close things out with some questions from the audience. But before we dive into things, I wanted to give you a few updates. Now, a lot of you have emailed, tweeted, Instagrammed, found me on Facebook, and asked if the podcast was coming back. The answer is yes. When? Now kind of. See, there are going to be some changes around here, and I think you're going to like them. Okay, first big change. Starting next episode, the podcast will be a part of the Feral Audio Network, home of such fine PCasts as Doughboys, The X-Files Files, Harmontown, and my other podcast with Jacob Reed, Before You Were Funny. They're a great new home full of talented people in front of and behind the mic. I'm really excited to join up with them. So that leads me to the second big change. The podcast will be released once a week. That's right, a new podcast episode every bat damn week. The format's going to shift a little bit. Instead of cramming two interviews into a single episode, the guest who worked on the show and the fan of the show will be split into two episodes. We'll still be talking about a single Batman the Animated Series episode. That feels more confusing than it needs to, but you'll get it. Third big change, there are no other big changes. That's it. It'll be more of this show that you guys love, so consider this 25th anniversary special the season one finale of Batman the Animated Podcast with season two right around the corner. So tell your friends, scream it at your enemies, call your mom. Batman the Animated Podcast is back, baby. Resubscribe, give us a rating and review if you haven't, and follow at BTAS Podcast on Twitter for updates. Okay. Let's get to that live San Diego Comic-Con 25th anniversary retrospective interview. Hey guys, welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm the person you just saw. Yeah, welcome. You know, kind of snuck out here, ducked back in a stairwell as if you didn't see me, and then I'm back again. Uh, I'm so excited to be here at Comic-Con. I started coming 
to San Diego Comic-Con because of Batman the Animated Series. I would go and see panels with people from the show, and it is why I came here every year since I was a teenager. So I am fucking thrilled to have <laughs> somebody from the show and my best friend who grew up watching the show who now works in animation because of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, Harry, you want to do the intros like you do on the podcast? Today's guest, Kevin Altieri. Woo! Let's give him a round of applause. Hi. Today's fan, me, Harry Chaskin. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, so, if you've never heard the show before or seen it at the one other time it's been live, uh, this is an audio variety show for your ears all about Batman, the animated series. So, uh, I interview fans who love the show, comedians, different people who work in the industry, as well as people who worked on the show. We talk about a particular episode. We've got episodes with Kevin Conroy and Lauren Lester and the voices of, you know, Arlene Sorkin, Harley Quinn, uh, Poison Ivy, Paul Dini, everybody, uh, Poison Ivy and Paul Dini, you know, two <laughs> people who exist in the same universe. Um, so check it out on iTunes, but today we're here to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series. Kind of reflect on it. Yeah, it's a great show. So, to kick things off, I kind of wanted to talk to you guys, respectively, about you. Well, Harry, what was your introduction to Batman? Why do you love this show? I, uh, I grew up on Batman. I grew up on Batman uh, with you. I remember going over to your house when we were 10, 11 years old, 12 years old. I can't remember. It's been so long. But uh, you had all the uh, episodes on VHS tape, and I remember watching those as well as watching them when they were broadcast prime time and you know it just really it shaped me I think it was such a visually distinctive show I loved the dark deco noir aesthetic and I was seeing that as I was I suppose formulating my own point of view of what the world actually was and how the world actually looked uh to me, like, those were the cars. That was a car, <laughs> the car with the crazy fenders. Uh, when I found out police didn't really have blimps or... Uh... They didn't drive SWAT vehicles that looked like loaves of bread in the real world? <laughs> yeah, I wanted some bread loaf uh, SWAT vehicles. <laughs> but, yeah, I just, remember, I just remember it popping, and when it was on, you couldn't look away. Well, Kevin, you were an instrumental part of this show. I mean, you've been a storyboard <laughs> artist, you've written, you've directed... Uh, you've kind yeah. of done it all. What a lot of other things as well. I imagine you character design. Uh, yeah, just about every aspect of animation, I've done it. You know, um, at one point or another, I was in development at Disney before uh, before Batman. I think that was the last animation job was on Lion King and Treasure Planet. What did you do on Lion King? Uh, development. It was like you basically you're in a kind of a vault. And, uh, the they Disney bring, Vault? Yeah, and they bring the scripts in. Yeah, well, it kind of was the Disney Vault, I guess. <laughs> but, no, you get the script and you read them, and um, Lion King, what turned out to be, was very different than the first draft of the script. No lions in the first one. Uh, there was lions, but it was originally called Jungle King, oh. which shows you how different things change, because as you're studying lions, everyone's going and saying, all I ever see is lions on savannas. <laughs> I don't see a single jungle anywhere. <laughs> but anyway, but it's, you know, it was, uh, yeah, and then Treasure Planet was the same way. You get the script, and as you're drawing and develop, developing aliens and coming up with ideas, things evolve and change, and then you end up with the final movie. Well, how did you get involved in Batman the Animated Series? What was your introduction? How did you get hired? Um, 
I got a phone call. Actually, I think was it? I think I got a phone call from Brad Rader, who was heard about it or was like talking to those guys about doing storyboards. And I knew Bruce because he worked at Deke when I worked at Deke. Bruce Tim? Yeah, Bruce Tim. Cool. So he was a character designer. I think he was doing Beanie and Cecil at the time I was doing Cops. And so I knew Bruce a little bit. And uh, so, you know, called him up. You know, they said, yeah, we're going to want to do, we want to do a really cool Batman. And in my mind, of course, I'm going like, well, I don't know. They just got through doing Tiny Toons. You know, everyone's been doing Tiny Toons for years. So I don't know how good it's going to be. And I go in there expecting a goofy thing. And instead, they show me, Bruce and Eric show me that um, short that they did. And yeah, this is like, Eric Radomski as well. Yeah. And they said, yeah, we want to do it like it's Fleischer Superman. And I'm like, oh, God, sign me up, please. Yeah, what was your reaction? Like, the minute when you, when you saw it, do you remember, like, what you felt? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess it was signing you up. You just said was, that. Was, I was just very, I was a real fanboy, you know, but I was like, yes, cool. Yes, I, I, this is going to be good. <laughs> Did you have a Batman growing up that you, you liked? There have been so many iterations. Were you like a Denny O'Neill kind of oh, guy, Neil oh, Adams? Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, there was Adam West. The Adam West, you know, Burt Ward Batman. Yeah. Which, you know, I loved that. You know, but it was, it was aimed right for me when I was like seven, eight. It was perfect. Um, and as I got older, I really got into the Denny O'Neill Neil Adams Batman. Like I liked Batman. It was probably the only DC comic that I was really into. I was a Marvel guy. I loved Kirby, mm-hmm. and I loved Gene Colan and all those guys. I loved the Marvel universe. So I was a bit of a snob about DC, but I always liked Batman. You know, detective comics especially. And then uh, when Denny O'Neill took over and Neil Adams, it just that was my Batman. That was like I was just rabid for it every month when the comic showed up. Yeah, it felt like you were one of the guys on Batman the Animated Series who was able to kind of bring iconic Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams oh. stories to animation, right? Like you, yeah. I believe you claimed Ra's al Ghul episodes? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> no, it's like, I, I did that with Bruce and then when Alan Burnett showed up after, um, after, a, after our first uh, story editor was gone and Alan took over, um, I just went and said, okay, sign me up, but you got to guarantee that when Rachel Ghoul shows up, I'm doing them. <laughs> <laughs> and Bruce is like, hey, great. You know, Eric, well, fine, I don't care. Alan Burnett's like, really? All right. You know? I feel like that two-parter, The Demon's Quest, was like one of the most iconic... I don't know, it was different than the rest of the series. It felt like it, it brought things, it, it took us outside of Gotham, it felt like it had a different yeah. vibe, the color palette was different. What was it like to kind of take Batman out of his element? Well, Bruce always said, the one thing that Bruce never wanted to have, I don't know if other writers, I don't know if any other writers said this, but Bruce said, the one thing we are not going to show is Batman in the outfit with the cowl off. And it's Bruce Wayne wearing the Batman outfit. And I said, yeah, until he's in the Batcave with Rachel Ghoul. He says, yes, exactly. Perfect. You know? <laughs> and that was what we did. You know? And it was like, that, so that was like the first time you saw him that way. And then also, that was the first one that didn't have a title card. 
we I don't know I can't really remember why we we decided on that but it was like that was the one that was done like it was an episode of a of a live action series. Yeah, it was just overlaid maybe over yeah. the wall of the bat cave or something yeah, like that. Yeah, with the drawbridge coming down. Yeah. The bat bridge. Uh Harry, you work in animation now uh, as like a director and writer and voice actor. What what did you take from watching Batman uh, the animated series, how did that influence you? Uh, it influenced me in so many different ways. I mean, I was thinking when you were when you were uh, asking about, you know, who was your Batman. There was a period of time that Adam West was my Batman. You know, being the age that I was, I didn't necessarily get at the time that it was campy. It was just mm-hmm. Batman. And then when the animated series came along, and suddenly I was presented with something that was so much darker and serious and had so much atmosphere. Like, it really just kind of opened my eyes to the idea of what you could do with storytelling in animation. It was something that didn't pander or talk down to kids or whoever might be watching yeah. it. Actually, I think, you know what? I was just thinking, we were talking earlier about, like, previous career. It was like, I, I mean, I've been labeled as a guy that does, like, action-adventure serious stuff. Um, but if you work in animation... 90% of the work is going to be pretty damn goofy. Mm-hmm. You know, little bouncy characters. It's like, that's all I ever did. And that was one of the things, like that first script, the Man Bat script on Leather Wings. When I read that, I was like, oh my God, this is so serious. I love it. Definitely. You know? Yeah, and I think that gave me, I, I, I always knew I wanted to go into animation, but that did give me something to aspire to in animation, you know something that can be a little more serious or adult or sophisticated. Yeah, what always stood out to me when I was younger, and I I don't know if I recognized why, but it was always very cool to see those hyper-detailed, like, painted uh, close-ups, like of Two-Face's face with his eye just kind of moving back and forth. Yeah, I remember I'd never seen a show where they did that. You know, every so often I feel like Ren and Stimpy would have, like, the hyper-rendered gross close-up. Gross up. Gross up, if you will. It's a technical term. Mm -hmm. Industry. Uh, (laughs) No, but I remember Batman. There's a shot of the Riddler, and his whole face is a background painting, but then the mouth is animated. I've never seen sort of those two styles seamlessly incorporated and seen anybody just go for that. That was always really cool. Yeah. No, pretty much if they, uh, well, me, Dan Reba, Brad, Raider, Guy, we're all working over at Deke even back then. We're like playing like these really crummy VHS tapes of Superman, the you know the, stu- the Fleischer Supermans from the '40s, and we're just like, "Oh my God, how can we do this? Can we do this?" You try and do that in a Deke 1980s cartoon. Good luck. <laughs> For those hyper-rendered shots, I got kind of throw a question in here. Mike, um, closer. For those background painting shots, was there mm-hmm. a process? Like, how did you? flag those as you went was it just whatever jumped was, out or it was just you, you just pick you just pick your moment that mm-hmm. you're going to do that um i think i did it like in catwoman where mm-hmm. it's like there's action action catwoman drops batman drops stands up you see her reaction and then you cut to a close-up and then you so you you create those moments mm-hmm. when you're doing the storyboard and you design it in the storyboard and then you have on that show on batman we had like Got it. It's like we generally we got, we were pretty lucky with most of the animation studios because they were good painters and good, uh, you know, because it's like there's nothing worse than one of those frozen shots 
really badly drawn. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to linger it's on like, this yeah, for like way it's all too painted long. And it just looks like all lumpy and what the hell? Well, actually with the two-face that works, but yeah. Yeah, definitely something that brings to mind, especially, you know, that hasn't changed in TV animation. So much of it is about economy of animation and how yeah. you can sit in a pose or a tableau. And I think, you know, consciously or not, Batman really influenced me for that just because it was so well staged and directed and it wasn't afraid to have those still or silent extended moments. Yeah, and the thing, the thing about, you're talking about economy, um, I've heard people telling me that like Batman was like a million dollars an episode or two million dollars, like it's The Simpsons <laughs> or something. It's like, no, no, we were like, that was a Saturday morning budget and we were, wow. you had like, at the end of four weeks, that board better be in some kind of shape to show to Bruce or you were going to hear from him, you know? Yeah, how late were the nights for Batman? Did you guys stay after hours ever or was it still kind of a nine to five-y sort of job? It was, um, for most people, it was nine to five because it's a union shop. But directors, generally, when everyone else goes home, you know, you're sitting there, there's a lot of things you've got to tie up and more drawings to be done. So, and that's the thing about everyone that they hired on Batman was like Boyd and Frank Parr, um, really good artists. Dan Reba, really good artists, you know? They're really good artists. And that was like something that I've, uh, other studios will have directors that are just kind of directing things, I guess even Warner Brothers. But on that show, it was like, they were really artists, so you had that support. So it helped, like there's things that Boyd really wanted, and he'd done animation. Is Boyd Kirkland one of the Boyd directors? Kirkland. Yeah. And I just especially remember Boyd being really expert at um, effects and stuff. So he would call out and design a lot of effects, like a lot of smoke effects and things like that. Which I feel like you can tell how good a show is by its explosion animation. Oh, I uh, love Smoke effects and Batman, I feel like, had some of the best. Yeah. No, it's like... No, we, we did all the, the first two seasons, we did all of the layouts in-house, and that was one advantage, because the layouts actually crossed your desk. And like, when a bazooka shoots up and you see the guy does like a puffy cloud, you know, it's like, here's a bazooka, here's a rocket, and poof. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's like, so, so you could actually draw it and like, you'd actually do like the key animation, you know, boom, 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 boom. Or machine gun flashes, you know, you could do like the Fleischer Brothers thing. Where the guys are like shuddering as they're shooting Tommy guns. Which is crazy, you had Tommy shells. guns in a kid's show. Yeah. <laughs> or yes. dark deco weapons, as they were described in the script, probably well, to get by they BS were. and P notes. <laughs> yeah, they, the BS and P was interesting. That, yeah, we, we got Tommy guns because, uh, well, we wanted pistols. And if you, you looked at, if you've, any of you have seen like that short that Bruce and Eric did, you know, they got, they got guns. Mm -hmm. So, going on the air they're like no guns no guns you know this is against the rules and then we finally got around to going and saying but they're gangsters um what's the objection well kids can get like their hands on guns you know it's like not a 1930s thompson <laughs> and they're like uh, my yeah, dad owns an old gun museum as long as it's got the drum so you negotiated for a for a bigger clip with heavy yeah. artillery okay. yeah and <laughs> And it, uh. they, they, they got touchy about, like, later on, started hearing about, look, stop it with the ejecting shells, please. <laughs> you know, because I was, I was like, the layout would come in, i go, ooh, ejecting shells. 
you know, it's like, which is what happens when you fire a machine gun. Sure. So it really is a machine gun with bullets. Yeah, I remember the uh, gargoyles in the Fire from Olympus mm -hmm. episode where they're actually vomiting shells out of the mouth. Well, <laughs> uh, Maxi Zeus. Old Didn't Maxi think he'd Zeus. come up, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> what's one of your favorite episodes that you've directed or worked on, Kevin? Oh, good God. Pretty big list. I mean, I, I don't know. You, you kind of love all of them. Most, I mean, even even some of the scripts were pretty, eh, not as good as other ones. Um, but even in like like Avatar, which is that Raish episode with the yeah. cool mummy-ish woman. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it's like Bruce and I hammered out. Like we were sitting there hammering it out. Literally, we 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 read the script and we're like both disappointed. I walk into Bruce's office and I'm like, my God, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's I don't know. This is just like lacking something. And then, you know, then we, Bruce, I don't remember if it was me or Bruce says, no, no, this has got to be like, like the mummy, like a hammer film. And so then we did like the opening starring Peter Cushing. Yeah. Uh, or a Peter Cushing lookalike. Yeah, it felt like there were always some sort of actors sneakily <laughs> yeah. in the background or foreground. Yeah, and originally the uh, Thoth Capara was supposed to be uh, a guy. And we're going like, a guy? Come on, you know, wouldn't it be cool as like for, if she rises up out of this goo and it's like this really hot Egyptian, you know, queen? And we're like, this Ooh. is pre Tom Cruise's The Mummy, you guys. Yeah. All right, yeah. this is oh, proto mummy. It was. This is before we had fast mummies. <laughs> <laughs> mummies were always shambling and slow. Yeah. Nowadays, they're just fast, they get chained up, they're kind of nice, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I love that goo. Love that green goo. Yeah. No, and, <laughs> that uh, climax is very cool. And Showdown, you know, I think we, I did one of the podcasts with yeah. you on Showdown. It's the Jonah Hex episode. Love it's like, episode. yeah, it's like, I mean, I don't know, there's, in, in this career, there's very few opportunities where you go to like a really great uh, recording, Andrea would like, have everyone in there and you're just sitting there in the booth and instead of it being like a chore trying to hear the right voice or anything you're just sitting back and just entertained by the actors and I, all the actors it's like there's not a bad one in the bunch they're all like superb yeah what was it like to be there for those records oh. were there any fun behind the scenes stories well, or well, things that well, people wouldn't know about on showdown it was like after this great recording you know Paul, Bruce, and I are standing on the steps, and Paul goes, okay, what's next? It's like, he goes, what would you guys want to do? Kevin, what would you, what character in DC Universe would you want to do? And I'm like, I'd like to do Enemy Ace. I don't know how he could work that one in. I love Jonah Hex. And he's like, ooh, Jonah Hex. I know Joe Lansdale. <laughs> and then we hammered out the plot right there. That's awesome. You know, it was, that was, there's very few times you get, and then I get the design with uh, Joe Denton, who like literally on weekends would go to Wyoming or to Old West towns and dress up, you know, with a cowboy hat. He has, hey, look where I was last weekend. He's got his six shooters on, <laughs> and so uh, you have a guy like that on the crew, and you just go like, hey, man, we're gonna do a flying ironclad dirigible. I feel like you had hyper detailed boards for that uh, that I've seen. Like you went all out on historical accuracy too. Yeah, well, yeah, they're the real, I mean, again, it's like, I, I'm a nut for history, so is Joe Denton, um, and he literally inked the storyboard, 
I mean, brush and ink the storyboard, and you can you can tell when the cartoon that cartoon comes back that uh, just my God, you know, everything's got rivets and stuff. Yeah, looks so cool. We need a book of those storyboards. Mm -hmm. well, Warner uh, Brothers Entertainment. If you're, you're all here, <laughs> uh, Harry. So I want to talk about Mask of the Phantasm, which is yeah, one of one of the coolest, I, my favorite Batman movie to date, and I like a lot of Batman movies. Um, but, you know, it's coming out on Blu-ray, finally, which is very cool. Uh, Harry, what was your experience seeing that for the first time? Did you see it in a theater? I did, yeah. It was incredible. I still consider Mask of the Phantasm my definitive Batman movie. Oh. Um, yeah, it just blew me away. It was everything that was great about the show, just blown out into an hour and a half story. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. cool. <laughs> no, it's like, that was... Uh, I loved about Mask of the Phantasm was um, my only criticism of it is that I, at the time, and now after seeing it again, I saw it again recently in theater, um, after seeing it again, I, I kind of renege on the, the, the criticism, but at the time I just went like, geez, there's so many flashbacks here, are you crazy? <laughs> but now I realize that was our, uh, you know, that's our, you know, Batman year one. Yeah. And it's a really, that guy, in my objection to many of the Batmans after, it's like, you know, you see, it's like, why, why would this guy be Batman? Why would he have this thirst for justice? Why would he be so straight-laced, such a good guy? You're, you're giving him this horrifying backstory, and he's like, oh, for vengeance. It's like, but that backstory, and including, you know, the love story, that is why Batman is Batman and why he can function the way he is. Yeah, I think that's what I love about this Batman is that he's the most empathetic Batman. Uh, he's the guy who, kid, you know, like strings up a goon from a building and then gets him a job at Wayne Tech. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like there's heart to him. He's not just beating the crap out of people. He does that too. Uh, but I feel like it gave him like a real meaty origin. It was like some of Kevin Conroy's best voice yeah. work in the series. Him yeah. crying at a gravestone, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it just what uh, Kevin Conroy can bring, just the subtleties in his voice, it's just great. And I love the fact that, you know, now we have like, you know, Batman, I'm Batman. <laughs> you know, whereas Kevin Conroy just came up with this natural, you know, this is a very serious, deep, natural voice that he hides from other people. He's not putting on a weird voice mm -hmm. to hide who he is. It's like, no, Batman is who he really is. And then the flashback, even when he's a young guy, he never does the high voice thing. It's always that lower, that low register guy. Yeah, it feels more like uh, he's, he's approaching it from thinking about the character from what age they were versus just like pegging it in like, well, they must have had a higher pitched voice because they were younger. Uh, yeah. he, he did the work. And when he's with Talia, his voice, it's like you look at him, it's Bruce Wayne, but the voice is always down, low. You know, mm -hmm. That's his natural voice. Well, really what was it like job. working on the movie? Like, how was it? Uh, I know it was kind of divvied up a little bit. <laughs> it, was, it, the, it was divvied up, but it was literally done like we had gotten to the end of the first season. I think it was the first season. Anyway, but there was a break. Um, and Warner Brothers just went, okay, we're going to do this... Uh, Originally, it was a direct-to-video um, project, but then they changed their minds and wanted to do a theatrical release, too. 
So, but it was just basically the same exact schedule as if it was four episodes. So the pipeline was pretty yeah, much exactly it was, the same? It was yeah. just each crew, you know, Frank's crew did his section, mm -hmm. my crew did my sections, you know. What were your sections? Um, the Joker. Oh, cool, the best yeah. sections. <laughs> no, they, again, justice, you know, it's like, because for whatever reason, after the last laugh, um, I didn't get to work with Mark Hamill. When I did The Last Laugh, I worked with Tim Curry. Right. He was originally the voice of the Joker. Yeah. And then and he was great, but he got called away. And then, then Mark Hamill showed up, and I never got to work on a Joker episode. And so the Joker is the main villain, and I go, please, just can I have the Joker? You know, just let me do the Joker for once. And, uh, you know, God bless them, they gave me all the Joker sequences. Did you get that World's Fair stuff? Oh, yeah. The World's Fair. God, that's my favorite. <laughs> I love an old dilapidated theme park. <laughs> and again, really great Alan Burnett, you know, it's like really great story editor. It's like the end sequence was kind of a throwback to the, uh, the older, I think it was Jerry Robinson, where everything's giant, mm -hmm. giant typewriters. The, the ending was like all the giant stuff. And I just went, no, please let me do Miniature City so that the Joker and Batman are like Godzilla. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you wear like a Chrysler building hat and he just kind of pops up. Yes, that, that's my contribution to society. The Joker's. I mean, you also knocked his tooth out. <laughs> yeah, and he got, and I got it. Well, you guys missed out on like him taking the Chrysler hat off of his head and jabbing Batman through the shoulder. Oh, man. Yeah, what other stuff had to be cut uh, from Mask of the Phantasm oh, that never made it? There was a lot more slicing up by the autogyros. <laughs> They really cut him up, and then there's uh, one cut that I really wish they'd put back in, and they edited it out because it was too gruesome, was where um, after the Joker leads Batman outside, outside of the, the City of the Future Pavilion, and he opens up the door, and I have Batman's feet step into frame, and this pool of blood drip, drip, and it grows around his feet, and it's growing pretty fast. And then you pan up, and there's Batman like holding something under his chest. So he's really hurt, and he's bleeding. You know, they cut out that pool of blood at his feet. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, but, Not that they cut it; they, that it I existed. Just, they should just put it back in. The footage has to exist. Oh, so they actually animated it. Everything was oh, in there. Yeah, it was edited afterwards. And oh, all that's the wild. slicing up, like they had like blood like just spraying out of his shoulder. <laughs> and, so in editing, they just started taking things out because they wanted to assure that they got a PG rating. Right. Know? So, oh, but it, it was so much more. I, I wanted to knock another tooth out, but <laughs> it didn't happen. Uh, Harry, did you have any more questions for Kevin? Yeah, I, uh, you know, two of my favorite Batman episodes as a whole uh, are two that you directed, the uh, Demon's Quest two-parter and Harley's Holiday. And oh, when Harley. I saw that you directed both of those, it struck me because not only are they vastly different tonally, they're mm -hmm. also sort of fun outliers from the overall tone. You know, Demon's Quest is this Lawrence of Arabia sort of sweeping epic thing, and yeah. Harley's Holiday is almost like a screwball comedy, mad, 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 mad yeah. world. I don't know what else. Um, I was just curious with your approach to both of those. If, was there one style or the other that you feel was more in your natural wheelhouse, or did you approach it differently? I, I don't. I wouldn't. I, I'm comfortable with both. I mean, I love. I love both. It's like you know, if you're gonna do Harley, 
it's going to be a screwball comedy, you know. Yeah. That that's all there is to it. Yeah. Um, and you just do what the script asks you to do. And I, I have like I love like I love David Lean films, you know. I love Stanley Kubrick. I love Stanley Kubrick. And I also love Preston Sturges. I love Mel Brooks. He's one of the best directors who's ever lived, you know. And just just do I'll just do anything, you know. It's like I love comedy, you know. And I. Yeah, and that one was just natural. And Harley's Holiday was, uh, well, Harlequinade was the first one, but Harley's Holiday. Did you do Harlequinade as well? Yeah. I love Harlequinade so much. (laughs) I think it's also one of the best animated episodes. It's really well boarded, directed, everything. I don't know. I cringe at some of the animation in like that. I'm a real stickler for biplanes. And the script (laughs) that originally was a helicopter, and I'm like, no, the Joker, he's got to have. And you gotta have a Lewis machine gun at the end, you know. Well, he gets knocked out, and he's just spinning around, shooting at everything. Yeah, no, I love that. And Arlene, oh my God, I, I just I wish, I wish they had cameras so you guys could have seen like Arlene and uh, Mark Hamill like acting together. Yeah, what was their chemistry like when you were watching? It was, it's, it's like watching Harley and the Joker. Like when Mark would like he'd sit there, hey, how's it going, Kevin? You know, say, so, hey, oh, did you go to Comic Con? Like, yeah, it's really nice. Okay, oh, we're on. Okay, and then hey, you know, and his face just <coughs> turns. He just changes into the Joker. It's like God. I wish they would have hired him to do the Joker in one of the movies. Yeah. 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 No, he's such a good actor, and and Arlene is like, I mean, she looked like Harley. Yeah, I mean, I think Paul based some of Harley off of her on yeah. a soap opera. <laughs> Dressed up like a version of Harley. Yeah, and it's it's just I mean that my God, it's just so much fun just watching the actors, just just watching those two especially. It's great. Going back to the biplane and the Lewis machine gun, I'm just curious. You know, <laughs> clearly you've got a love of history and have a great uh, library of reference. Was there like a you know the show has such a distinct look, but was there a shared reference oh. library, or did each good director sort yes. of bring their own? Yeah, no, I mean that that was it. It's like there was there's a point where you ask for stuff and you go to Warner Brothers and you know and they they'll you know pull out stuff you know because they have archives and stuff. But generally, with that crew, it's like VHS tapes. It's like you know Scarface, the Howard Hawks Scarface. Yeah, I got a really crappy copy that I made off of late night TV. You know, <laughs> and it's like and we all had like books on New York City in the 30s and just it's just stuff in Hugh Ferris. Like everyone. Uh, Ted Blackman was like he had like this he had just architectural books and stuff that he brought in it's like yeah Ted doesn't get enough credit for the look of that show yeah what did he do on the show he's the art director you know (laughs) and it's like you know oh just that yeah it's like the dark deco state was created pretty much by Ted yeah the architecture is incredible on the show all those backgrounds yeah no and he'd, he'd complain like that I'd go and I'd do a storyboard and I have like big cityscape with all these tiny windows in the storyboard. He says, are you crazy? <laughs> He's like, well, no, I have to draw all those windows. <laughs> Just for this one shot, please. <laughs> Whatever. Well, guys, I wanted to open it up to you if you have any questions for these guys. Uh, we got a mic over here. So if you want to line up, uh, if anybody has any sort of questions about Batman the Animated Series, this is your chance. Until the next time, you go to a panel and there are people from Batman, the animated series. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, this is your chance. 
All right. Well, no you questions. Can mull it over. Or yeah, come on but up. Go ahead. Just, just yeah. yell it out. Just yell it out. You can. Okay. Uh, so, who do you think like is the most dangerous of all the villains? Like, if you were stuck in a room with one of them, which one would be the most? Oh God. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a tough one. Who would be the most dangerous? Because it's like. You know, if you, you go and say, well, Killer Croc's probably the strongest, but you could easily outwit him and get away. The Joker, I think, probably is the most dangerous because you just don't know what he's going to do. Okay. Of course, then there's Mr. Freeze. <laughs> he's just sad. <laughs> no, he's... Well, you see, the thing is, Mr. Freeze, he doesn't care anymore. No. <laughs> yeah, I think anyway. Mr. Freeze would be rougher because the Joker, you could at least... Uh, Sort of yeah. sway one way or the other. Uh, were, you, can't, you can't tell. If you found something more entertaining or distracting for him. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, if you could create one of your own like, personal villains for a Batman, what would, um, what would he or she look like? And, and what characteristics would they have? I think what I, I would like to do like a very, very young, super powerful girl that's like uh, probably the offspring of Superman or something and doesn't really know, hasn't got like the upbringing that Clark Kent had. Why do you think that would be the best villain for Batman? I don't know if it would be the best, but it's what, one that I'd like to do because it's like you, she's actually very innocent, you know, and has to actually learn what's right and what's wrong. I'd like to do that. that hasn't, I don't think that really has been done with Batman yet. But then again, if you go and dig into the comic books, you'll probably find something like that somewhere. Harry, do you have one? I'd like to do like a really extended story on one of Jervis Tetch's lab rats. <laughs> just, just kept getting smarter and smarter. So do this existential thing with it. I don't know. Real deep cut from the beginning of Mad as a Hatter, we see one of those rats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, I felt like the show had such extremes from some episodes were really funny to us. Like the one where they're talking, all the villains are talking about uh, how they almost killed Batman. <laughs> and Croc has a theory about, oh, um, not the robot theory again. And, yeah. And some episodes were like the one from Clayface, for example, where that seems a very dark. So was that on purpose or like, how does yeah. go from no. one extreme to the other? No, it's, a, it's completely on purpose. And it's like that's where that pretty much starts with the writers. Like I didn't come up with, uh, um, with Clayface. Um, that was the script, um, and Matt Hagen, of course you got Ron Perlman doing that voice, it's like, and that performance is like, this is, this ham actor is a, this is someone that you've, you've met, you know, that's someone that we all know, and it, that's why it's so effective. Yeah, and it's like, and it's, yeah, and it's like, it's, it's a tragic end, but then again, only for, uh, well, God, what's his name, only for his, uh, Oh, partner, his boyfriend? Yeah. His boyfriend. And that was, that was intentionally a gay relationship, too. Does he throw a whiskey bottle at him in that episode? I feel like yeah. I remember no. that relationship. It's like a dark really play. Real and visceral. <laughs> yeah. It's like a little slice of Tennessee Williams or something. No, yeah. it's like I, I gave those, uh, a lot of that um, stuff between the, those two, I gave to uh, Brad Raider, and he just did it, knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it felt like an abusive relationship. It yeah. was like he comes into the room, you know, this, this guy comes to the room with like a turkey dinner. 
It's like I didn't. That wasn't in the script. He was like, I think you know, it was like that. Brad said, no, this guy went out of his way to try and please. I Matt. made you an entire Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> please don't scream at me. Don't you dare patronize me. Okay, great. Well, like drop the clay down his throat. <laughs> Turn <Anyway>. him. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah. Next. Hi. So you talked about one of your favorite things that was that got cut from um, Mask of the Phantasm. Where mm-hmm. is there anything else? that either you did or someone else did that got cut from the series oh, that God. you would have liked back yes. in? Yes. Oh, Thanks. my God, yes. Um, I, I got to figure out a way to do it. I found some old VHS tapes. Like, Showdown was originally for the 5 o'clock in the afternoon slot, and then it got turned into a Saturday morning slot. So that was like almost an extra minute had to come out. Oh, so the timing was different depending on when the show aired? Um, sort of, but they, they added an extra commercial or something. Oh, All I remember is we had to, ed- we edited it down, and there's one shot that I loved where um, Rachel Ghoul goes to Arcady and says, you know, you know, go and take care of this problem, and he goes and he leaves, and you see this guy smug with a saber on his hip. That shot got taken out, and he goes over and grabs the guy's face and grabs onto the saber and shoves him off camera. And he's got like the saber, and that's the that's when he gets the saber that he fights uh, oh, Jonah cool. Hex with. Yeah, that, that that was just one shot that I really wish was still in. The animation was so good too; it was all fluid. Man, it's crazy that they animated those things and then cut them. Usually, that gets cut in boarding yeah. or something. And there's there oh god Harley's Holiday. There was a couple of shots that just pained me that they had to go. What? Oh, just like more stuff with Veronica Vreeland and uh, Harley in the car. Stuff that I boarded myself, and I really, I really enjoyed that part with the dad in the, in the tank. Yeah, that chase. When that tank, tank comes out in the <laughs> yeah. episode, you're like, all right, we're in full-on comedy. <laughs> yeah. Wait, that's my father <laughs> in a tank. That was great. Anyhow. <laughs> um, in the episode Birds of a Feather, what kind of message exactly was there like, in the episode? I remember like, when I was a kid and I watched it, I was really mad at Batman for not doing something like, to make things right before it went bad. Yeah, like, why um, didn't... I didn't do that one. I don't remember who... Yeah, it was the Penguin it. episode. Yeah. It was probably like, the most humanizing episode for the Penguin. It yeah. was like he went on a date with this woman mm-hmm. and she just like, made fun of him the whole time. And then in the end, like, uh, Batman actually knew about that and didn't do anything. Actually. And then uh, like, Penguin kidnapped the woman and then he got arrested. And yeah, no, I, I, I remember that episode. It's great. Paul Williams, fantastic penguin. God, he's the best. Yeah, I only got to do one episode with, Paul, with uh, the penguin, uh, the mechanic, which, uh, yeah, but I loved that. I loved the fact that, you know, like that he, he actually is, at a, in his heart, he's a romantic character. You know, he doesn't see himself as this twisted guy. Yeah, he's but, like a yeah. sweet aristocrat. Yeah. No, I thought that was mean-spirited, but I didn't do that episode, so. <laughs> if I did it, I would have just had him, like, meet a girl in jail or something like that. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <laughs> they live happily in Blackgate. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if uh, the question is about the change in animation when, after the original run of Batman, the animated mm-hmm. series, they came back with... Uh, different animation and different designs for the characters. I don't know if you worked on, on, on that or if you were no longer... No, I didn't. I was actually doing um, Gen 13. I actually was doing Gen 13, uh, a, you know, direct-to-video movie that I got in an office in Santa Monica near my house. 
So I wasn't part of that. Um, I didn't, although it's still really good design, um, I didn't see the need myself mm -hmm. for changing stuff, especially the Joker. Yeah, yeah. Because the Joker, I just thought was perfect. I love the design. Yeah. Of and it's like, and I just didn't buy the new edgy look. You know, I wish they didn't do it, but you know, it's like you get after the first couple of seasons, it's like who knows what executive orders come down. You know, it always happens in animation. You know, how many times have we seen the Scooby Doo characters changed over the years? And then you want to make money on this character. Just do the Iwo Takamoto character designs. Kids love it, you know. <laughs> Don't change the design of Scooby, whatever you do. You know, it's like, that's just how I feel about it. I just, thought, I just thought the first, uh, the first run of character designs was perfect, you know. It was, and they were fun to draw. They were really easy and fun to draw. When you have, like, these edgy, weird guys, it's like, where do I put the jaw, man? And it's like, what? the hands, well, the fingers aren't blunt enough, you know. Oh, they're all sharp. They can poke people. Their hands yeah. are weapons. Still a good cartoon, though. Yeah. They were still good scripts, good stories. I mean, the animation, I, you know, was, was still excellent, I thought. But, yeah. Cool. Thank Let's you. move on to the next question. Uh, a couple of villains that are my favorite that we haven't talked about are the Mad Hatter and Scarecrow, especially mm -hmm. when Batman gets um, some sort of mind-altering, because an insane Batman would just be the scariest thing to me ever, and I was wondering yeah. if you got to work on any of them, or you have a favorite. Again, I love Scarecrow. I love the Mad Hatter. I, I especially wish that I got to work with Roddy McDonald, but no, I didn't get to direct those. It's just how the scripts handed out. I did have um, Scarecrow in one episode in Harley's Holiday, where he's like at the very it's beginning. Right off at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, where he's like, "Worship me, fools! Worship me!" It's one of my favorite jokes. <laughs> yeah, it is great. It's like, "Good evening, child." Calling her child is very funny. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, and I loved. God, They're friends. I love Lauren Lester's Robin. He was just so good at the sarcastic delivery. They don't I, call him Batman for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I man. love hate that line. Uh, yeah, yeah, doing. Um, you talked before about you know the joy you got watching the voice actors work. Mm -hmm. um, what was it like watching when the guest stars came in, like Roddy McDowell or Adam West? Oh. The great I mean, it, that was another, that was another great thing about um, Andrea uh, as a voice director. It's like when you'd have the guest villain or a villain that didn't you know, that wasn't there, like Rachel Ghoul, or for instance, Rachel Ghoul, she'd come in and she'd say, okay, who would you cast if this was live action? Who would you think? And, you know, and we're like, well, I don't know. It's like, and I, I said Michael York, who actually got cast as Count, as Count Vertigo, but for the same episode. But then she went, hmm, how about David Warner? And I'm like, oh, God, that's perfect. You know, wanted Patrick Stewart too, but you know he was untouchable. But it's like, oh, but man. David Warner I actually think was better. Well, now he plays a poop in the Emoji movie, so yes, <laughs> See not what untouchable you get? any longer. You turn down Rachel Ghoul and you get poop. Uh, well, cool guys. I think that's all the time we have. I want to give a round of applause to my guests, Kevin Altieri, Harry Chaskin. Thank you guys so much for coming out. That's it. That's the show. Thank you again to all the fans and audience members who made it out to San Diego Comic-Con. It was so cool to meet you guys. 
If you liked what you heard, please rate and review the show on iTunes. Follow the podcast on Twitter, at BTAS Podcast, and me, at Hey Justin. Donate to the show at patreon.com slash BTAS Podcast. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast. I want to give a big ol' thanks to my live show producer, Noah Eberhardt of Feral Audio, and the folks at San Diego Comic-Con for making it happen. Also, my guests Kevin Altieri and Harry Chaskin. If you guys liked what you heard, there's a full interview with Kevin in episode 13 about the episode Showdown, and another with Harry in episode 2 in which he talks Two-Face. Alright guys, until season two, and happy 25th anniversary to my favorite cartoon and Batman Anything. 